This is the beginning of this uh, formal retreat and just to be aware of the of what uh, that perception does to you because a two week formal retreat these words what effect do they have and what do you expect or what you know what kind of mental activity uh, goes on and just using that that perception so you're noticing that's awakened state of mind uh, we think of two weeks retreat I've got to do this do that the way we plan or anticipate or uh, hope or dread or whatever is uh, say the the direct path is is awakening to what we're actually what's happening now rather than than uh, perceiving a two week formal retreat and get caught up with our own kind of emotional reactions to that idea and, and expect something or dread something and operate just uh, according to to the old momentum of habits reactions the, the Buddhist teaching is is the immediate one so awakening to the way it is rather than becoming something So just the word retreat uh, or two weeks, uh, two weeks can, uh, can pe people can think of two weeks and then think of then some kind of reaction one might have just to that perception. Formal, in the formal. <laughs> Other people like that. I want, I want something really clear, clear cut, you know led and wisely taught, skillfully considered retreat, formally taught with excellent teachings and uh, kind of hopes. <laughs> and others they might be, Ajahn Sameno gets on that high seat and babbles on. <laughs> so, but what, but you, <laughs> all I'm 
suggesting now is, is not, not adopting any particular attitude, but recognizing the one that's present. Because that's what practice really is. It's, uh, it's, it's not a becoming. The, the teaching of the Buddha is not nothing. You, you don't become something. Uh, and it is a, a direct uh, teaching. So it's always here and now uh, to be understood by each one of us the way it is now. Then when we, we use the term Dhamma, so this is, say, this word Dhamma contrasts to the, the personal approach to life. When we, when we talk about life, we usually talk in a, in a very personal way about my life and my aspirations and my history and my practice and, and well, the kind of, uh, is a, the personal view of it is, is how we generally express ourselves. So we see everything in terms of what, how this is affecting me and my view and my practice my teacher, my samadhi, my lack of samadhi, and on and on like this. So this is, this is the worldly view, this is the conditioned way of thinking and perceiving. But our refuge is in Dhamma, not in personal views or opinions or habits. So in terms of Dhamma, then everything that we think or feel, uh, experience, internally, externally, is seen in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of this is happening to me. Now this takes a determination to, to observe uh, the way it is rather than, than get, uh, than just be lost in the way that you, that you tend to, uh, interpret experience on the personal level. So you, you might sit uh, tomorrow and get very peaceful and see wonderful lights and have, have uh, images of the Buddha come to you and, you, and then you, you translate this in personal terms. You say, oh, the Buddha came to visit me yesterday and, and all the lights went on and and I really understood everything, you know, and, and I think I'm enlightened. This is, this is the personal view. That's not Dhamma. The Dhamma would be to see that even if the Buddha comes, the Buddha goes, the lights come on, lights go out. You see, <laughs> you see it in terms of, of uh, uh, even the view, this is happening to me is a view that arises and ceases. So it's, it's learning to use the, the language of Dhamma, which is an adopted language, isn't it? We have this habitual language we, we, you know, the, from our cultural background, which is based on this is happening to me and I'm like this and I'm this kind of person. 
that's the habitual way of thinking and perceiving, it's the conventions. And now we're adopting the Dhamma way of interpreting experience, which is to see, see it, things as they really are, which is n not denying anything, but recognizing all conditioned phenomena for what it is. So that we can do, whether it's a thought or a fantasy or or uh, or something, uh, the sound of the rain or the um, pleasure or pain, whatever. A conditioned phenomena is impermanent. Then we we see the impermanence of. It. We're noting the the changingness of it rather than giving significance to it because it it's mine. It's happening to me. So this takes determination to to be able to 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 use this way of this is a skillful way of thinking, using thought in a way that that uh, we generally you know people generally don't use thought in this way. The thinking is is uh, reason and logic and and based on all kinds of assumptions and positions and habits. So you have the condition, the unconditioned. And so the, the conditioning is, is the obvious stuff because that, that is what we generally identify with. That's the personal, the condition, the personal, the the emotional, the physical, uh, the experiential uh, is is uh, is the condition. So what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, feel, uh, good or bad, right or wrong, true or false, whatever its quality is, is condition phenomena. They're learning to look at change rather than is it the personality is very much uh, as a sense of being a kind of permanent thing. Me as a person, I seem to when I the old ways of of seeing myself through my personality is uh, I have a whole history. I have a I I have you know I was born and I. Had, I've done all these things in my life, and uh, I've met these people, and I've been these places, and done these things. Well, I have a history, and uh, then I have a way of, of uh, judging it all, and interpreting it on a personal level. So that's the that's the where the worldly view. It's, it's it's convinced that this is is reality. But in terms of direct experience, there's only the now. There's no past in the present, except uh, some kind of memory. So in terms of of the way it is right now, there's no past. So it's uh, you're. If he, you know, if you remember something, then that's, that's a memory, that's a, uh, that, that's a function of the mind. People lose their memories. 
And then they get old in Alzheimer's disease, you don't even remember who you are. Or memory is, uh, and we are, we're selective about memory. We can't, I can't remember everything I've ever done uh, in my path. Whatever, you know, it's usually the, the highs and lows I remember. And uh, the kind of the peak moments or the nadirs of despair or the whatever, then these are the, then I remember these moments. But actually those are memories in the present. So this is, this is looking at things for what they are. Memory is impermanent. We say memory is not self, even though memory says, this is you, you were like this, you, you did this. You were born then. Uh, it sounds like self, but it's actually, when you really look at it, it's just empty phenomena. No, no core to it, no substance. So in two weeks, I think, that was the beginning of two-week formal retreat. Two weeks in the future, 28th of January. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen in the next two weeks. And so we, we are looking toward the future. And so like, what is that? It's anticipation. And then you expect something. I'm expecting some kind of good result or I'm expecting to be totally miserable the two weeks or I'm anticipating, or I'm hoping, or I'm dreading, I'm not sure. But all these are uh, condition, mental conditions that arise in the present. So the, the knowing of this, this uh, is, is what I'm encouraging, this direct knowing of the way it is. And interesting is, See what is what did the Buddha teach? He taught a taught knowing. Because when you look at the the reality of our lives as a as a sentient being, in course you know this this uh, sentient being incarcerated in this form, conscious form. What you know we're we're in this state of uh, subject object all the time. So uh, there's always this that's happening to me, and so the the, the things impinge and uh, sensory objects and thoughts and memories, emotions uh, arise and cease in the consciousness that I that I am experiencing, and so uh, to try to figure it out in terms of the personal. Uh, perceptions is it gets so complicated. You know, we get we trip all over ourselves. We get entangled in a mesh of endless complicated pers views and opinions about why and what for and who I am and right and wrong, true and false. Uh, because once you start giving. Uh, 
your allegiance to the conditioned realm, it, it just uh, it just goes on endlessly. One thing goes on to another. It the way it, it moves and changes, and its variables and interconnections and so forth are you know so complicated. We have, we can see just in modern technology, internet, and all that how we've we've taken the human brain beyond just the the out of the skull and into a more kind of worldwide complicated uh, network. And it's interesting, you know, not to. I'm not complaining or dismissing. I think it's very interesting, but as an end in itself, it doesn't. It's no liber. It's, it. It only you'll find the complications just increase, and uh, and it just you, you, it's it's beyond, uh, say, our ability to to really know everything about everything in that way, because we're not God. We're not. We're not in a position to know everything about everything. So, so within the humble position of our human state, this is a humble condition, in the being human being. What an odd thing to be. You know, then we've got animal's body. You know, we defecate just like the dogs do, and things. We we're not defecating marshmallows or anything. We, <laughs> we have the same desires and uh, instinctual tendencies, self-preservation. We can, we can want to murder and kill and so forth. We've, we've certainly we've got to survive on a planet And yet we can we can we can aspire to ultimate rea to enlightenment things like this. We can we've got this uh, we've got we're stuck in a human form, kind of animalistic form, on a planet. And so it's a, it, you know, we have to deal with with survival, with change, with pain, with cold, with with. Um, Old age, sickness, and death, and yet we can know the ultimate reality within the within the, this state, uh, this humble humble state of our of our humanity. So, so one of the interesting uh, things, like human pride, isn't it, or hubris, where we we uh, we conceive ourselves as a kind of god, you know, a kind of Superman or something that we're we're you know we can we can be all powerful or we can know everything about everything. This is this is one of the uh, uh, they call hubris or the kind of overweening pride and delusions that that human beings are quite capable of. So uh, the the spiritual path is based on humility rather than on on trying to become uh, this, a kind of god or a or a super being of some sort. We're not trying to make ourselves into into a superior kind of being or become anything uh, that 
we're trying to spend this next two weeks trying to become something that we imagine would be better. To attain something, wanting to attain something. Even enlightenment can sound like, once I get enlightened, then I'm better than the rest of you. Doesn't that, you know, say, he's enlightened, and that makes me kind of better than you, doesn't it? <laughs> In terms of the way he, the ego works. Or we, we, you know, you go to Thailand, a country's like this, and people say, is so-and-so an arahant? And then you think, he, an arahant's better than that monk. That monk is not an arahant, that one is. <laughs> so then you, you're, you're, you're seeing that even, even an enlightened human being as some kind of superior form, this is the conditioned, conditioning of the mind. So humility then is, is uh, we're not, we're not trying becoming superior or trying to get anything and then kind of be one up on somebody else or prove that I'm somehow more spiritually advanced than you are or anything like that. But if these kind of thoughts come into the mind, then we're seeing them in terms of dhamma, in terms of, well, they, they are what they are, you know, pride, conceited self-views, and all this are, they are what they are. You know, if I think I'm more spiritually advanced than the rest of you, that, that's a thought that, uh, you know, and, and it, is, it is what it is. But to see it in terms of dhamma is, it's impermanent. I'm looking at its changingness. I'm, the, the thing I'm emphasizing is that it's changing rather than giving it a kind of importance and it's something that I'm, some kind of attachment I form to that particular view that, that makes me, that says, destroys humility and makes me arrogant by a clinging to those kind of views. So you can have arrogant views and, and conceit and all the rest, but inter interpret them in terms of Dhamma <laughs> rather than go around kind of believing them in, as being uh, truths that you attach to. In the monastic form, like, like being bhikkhu, siladhara, anagarikas, and that, these are, these are not, these are also meant to be reminders of humility, rather than, and then social positions that we take. It easily drifts into, into being a social position, you know, like, like it's easy to, to think of yourself, now I'm a, you know, I'm, I have more years in the order than you have, and, and then I, everybody bows to me, and I'm somehow, this gives me a sense of being a socially kind of uh, a focus, a higher, on a higher social plane. Now that would be the personal view, wouldn't it? From the conditioning, cultural conditioning, but that's not Dhamma. That's not the way it is in the present, even when you're all 
physically bowing and I'm receiving it, to look at that in terms of Dhamma is better than to look at it in terms of personal view. It is what it is. It's a convention. It's a develop mindfulness, humility. It has a purpose to it to 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 remind us rather than uh, to promote some sense of that I am some kind of person worthy of your respect. Because, you know, how do you know? Maybe I'm not all that worthy of your respect. <laughs> but that's not the point, is it? It's not, not for us to decide who's worthy, to, who, who in this community is the most worthy of bowing to. That's not it. That's the worldly view again. So we're seeing it in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of self. Those are very important because uh, relationships also in the Sangha in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of personal personality, personal relationships. Because relationships do bring up our personalities. You know, our particular, we, we prefer this one over that, we like this one better than that one, and and uh, this one, we have affinities with this one, but we, have, we don't have anything in common with that one. And, and this one really, you know, I connect with that one, I don't, you know, and on like that. That's the personal view, isn't it? Or to see that in terms of Dhamma. So uh, relationships, say, in Sangha are, are are conventional ones, you know, based on seniority and, and kind of vinya discipline. It's merely a, a skillful means to reflect and to change the pattern of, say, our own class conditioning or ethnic conditioning or personal habits. So the, the conventions, say, of Vinaya and that are, are merely a kind of, to be a help for reflection rather than, uh, than just uh, another uh, kind of disciplined thing that we're either good at personally or not very good at personally. You can say, you know, he's really good with Vinaya, but his Vinaya is not very good, and we can get really snooty about Vinaya, which is seeing it in terms of personal ability or lack, but seeing it in terms of Dhamma is what is uh, recommended, encouraged. in terms of male and female. Mm. This is this the, the way that we, we, uh, we, we think women are like this, men are like that. Or we, maybe we're modern uh, types who think men and women are exactly the same. There's no difference. And then that's another view. And then 
Then there's the other view that they're completely different. Women are from Venus. <laughs> I mean, these are views, and and uh, that we can we can uh, have views about single-sex communities. We should just with only with no nuns, or whether we should have whether having nuns in the monastic community is good or not good, or we prefer it or don't prefer it, or whether it's helpful or not helpful. And so these things are, are issues in some, with some people, just around nuns, monks, conventions, on this, on the level of gender. But then, encouraging to see this in terms of Dhamma, rather than giving it, you know, your attention and, and, and become kind of taking a position on it. Say what is encouraged is not to, that we have to agree on, on one, you know, position that's right and the rest they're not, but begin to see just any position, any feeling we do have is what it is in terms of Dhamma. All conditions are impermanent. So this way we can use the situation we're in, uh, here at Amravati, the way it is. Uh, uh, you know, the, the learning to, to use the, the, the situation to, as Dhamma rather than seeing it in terms of personal preference. So we might prefer like chitters to Amravati or prefer some, you know, whatever we prefer, fair enough, preference is, is uh, a condition of the mind that arises and ceases. See, in terms of Dhamma, then you're using the situation as Dhamma rather than believing your preferences and, and then, then operating, living your life here uh, without observing what you're really doing, but forming opinions, views, without rea realizing that, then the whole point of the life seems to be lost. Doesn't you know what? What's the point of it if you if you're just operating uh, in a, in the in the personal way and and making everything into a personal experience? Because then somehow the whole Dhammavinya has uh, is somehow never quite um, reached you. You know, so you're you're merely using the convention in a in a in a worldly way. So you'll get a worldly result from it. The thing too that I found a constant reminder uh, is that uh, the, of this here and now Dhamma. So, in in establishing that, you see, to use the the way it is, the posture, the body, the breath, the the 
the way you, the mood you're in, the state of mind, the, the, the conditions that exist for you as, a, as an individual entity at this moment. And so to do that, if you're, if you're coming from a self-view, then you, you do make it complicated into, I've got to develop my samadhi, do samatha before vipassana, or I have to develop a positive ego before I can let it go, or I've got to work on my anger, or I've got to uh, do something in order to become something, or to do something else, or I'm only new at this, and so I need this kind of thing, and, and on and on like that. Then we, then we, you know, it gets, uh, you know, you're lost in, in, in the personality view and the belief in that you've got to do something in order to become something. So in, uh, in the directness of the teaching, then you're, you're aware of this. In terms of Dhamma right now, I can still feel uh, I have to do something uh, in order to get some kind of goal, some kind of desired result. But in terms of Dhamma, I can see that is, you know, it is what it is. It's a feeling of I want something I don't have. So that's an awareness, isn't it? That it, it's a, you can be aware of that feeling of wanting or the com, kind of compulsive tendencies of the mind, thinking that, that you, you, you know, there's something you've got to do. Just notice that, this, the, the, the kind of feeling that there's something you've really got to be doing. Because uh, I noticed this with myself, that was very strong. I'm a b- very compulsive character. Uh, I've come from a compulsive family, a compulsive <laughs> So it's, uh, yeah, I can't blame it on anybody. It's the way the, way the, the, the system works. But if, if, you know, there was no way of, 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 if we were just kind of victims of our compulsive, compulsiveness, then that would be pathetic. You know, there'd be no way out. But there is a way. And that's through this mindfulness. A mindfulness is a is ability to observe this feeling of I've got to do something, I've got to get something. That's not it's not it's not analyzing no, I'm compulsive because I'm I'm a I have a compulsive personality because I, uh, I had uh, a goal-oriented parents from a from a society that's very you know competitive, and therefore I am this way. Even though that might be true, that's that's not going to liberate you by knowing that. What's going to liberate you is to see directly compulsivities like this. This feeling, I've got to do something, is like this. And so, that which is aware of that, the knowing of the, of, of that, of the mental object. Compulsivity is a mental object, it's not the subject. 
So you begin to awaken to the way it is. Compulsivity is impermanent. It's not, not, it doesn't have any real essence or substance. It's a habit. It can be observed. It's witnessed to. So it's knowing. Uh, to know things as they really are. So knowing is is the is the way the Buddha taught the way of awakened awakening and knowing. Not knowing about knowing directly. It's a jnana dasana insight knowledge. Knowing about something, then we get back to the personal again. Like we know all about. Tony Blair, we know about Sherry Blair, <laughs> and we know about Chechnya, and we know about all kinds of Queen Elizabeth, President Clinton, we know about the lay group that support this, we know all about the uh, history of the English Sangha Trust and about the Chitthurst and Devon. We know about uh, the nuns' efforts in Devon. We know uh, the problems of the Sangha in the West. And we know all the grapevine about all the problems in Australia and New Zealand, <laughs> Thailand, <laughs> and everything. So we know about, all, we can know about all kinds of things. And uh, so that's knowing about. Direct knowing is, is knowing the way it is. So in terms of, of anicca dukkhanata, these are not meant to be uh, just kind of um, ways of dismissing experience. Like, you, like I've heard people practicing vipassana kind of use the three characteristics as a kind of put down of conditioned phenomena. It's all impermanent suffering and not self. And this is a way of kind of dismissing experience. And that's not, that's not what they're meant to be. It's not an intellectual uh, kind of uh, game we're playing to, to just put down life and dismiss experience. But to really know experience for what it is. Because it's impermanent suffering and not self doesn't mean it, it is not important or that it's not worth anything. So we can, all condition of love is not worth anything. It's all the permanent, not self. Is a, is a kind of sour grapes uh, way of relating to life. It's all suffering. But uh, that's, that's not using the vipassana in the, in, a, in the right way. It's not knowing, it's, it's taking the convention and misusing it. So when we got three characteristics of existence, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not uh, adjectives that, that, that give, uh, that define quality of anything, but they're uh, 
words that remind us to observe the way they are. Because something important still is impermanent. Something trivial is impermanent. So it doesn't, doesn't mean that because something important is impermanent that it's not important. But we're, we're opening, we're knowing well, when something is important, importance. We're, we're feeling it, we're fully with it. Or if it's trivial, we're fully with that. But if we're on the personal level, then we think, I am a person that only deals with important issues and trivialities I have nothing to do with. And then we get into arrogance again. <clears throat> you say, I'm not going to be bothered with that foolish stuff because I'm devoting my life to important issues. And then that becomes, uh, then, we, then we dismiss the triviality or the dreariness or the boringness of life. And you're always looking for important issues to, to pay attention to. And that's the personal, that's the personality operating again. That's not Dhamma anymore. <coughs> now how do you recognize the unconditioned And so then this is, you know, the, you, have, you have the word condition, unconditioned. So then that, the word itself gets in the way, actually. If you, if you attach to words. But words, learning to use words, not as, not to defy, not to fix everything, to kind of petrify everything with a word, but to guide attention to way, way of looking and observing to, to the awakeness of the mind. You know, like in, when the Buddha encouraged awakeness, mindfulness, it's, it, it, then, then, the, the, then our attention is fully present with the conditions as they are, but that full attention itself is what we're taking refuge in, not in the condition that we're uh, observing. So then when we begin to appreciate, when we really appreciate our ability to be fully attentive, fully present here and now, And it's beyond thought, isn't it? You, when you try to conceive it, it, it seems ridiculous to, to give it a name because it's perfect in itself. Pure awareness. When you begin to trust it and relax in it, rest in it, then you then you have perspective on the on the on the rest that you can really observe without judging or you know on a critical level then we we get back into the personality again like I have I'm sitting here trying to uh, have uh, really kind of profound dharmic thoughts 
and then and then some kind of nasty thoughts enter. And so then I think oh, nasty thoughts. And uh, I I I wanna only have pure Dharma thoughts, you know, really, you know, all about unconditioned love and compassion for all sentient beings. I was sitting here thinking, oh, I can't stand that person. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then this, uh, then we judge it, isn't it? On a personal level, we think dharmic thoughts are good and petty, mean thoughts are bad. And I, and and we we're caught into judging it, in judging the thoughts again. And we're brought back into the realm of our personalities, you know. The, 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 there, I, there I go again. After you know, I've got to, I've got to clean up my my act. I've got to get rid of my dirty thoughts. I've got to have only pure ones, and on and on like this. And this, uh, you're, you're back in the in the in that conditioned realm again. You have no. And as long as you keep operating from that, you, it, you just go around in it. You know, the best thing you can hope for is maybe a little level of refinement that you can achieve in moments. You know, on the condition level, you kind of refine the conditions out, make them a little nicer than they, they were. But, but you can't sustain that either. And then you can't sustain refinement as a as a permanent state. But the uh, unconditioned is what you your refuge, what you take refuge in, because it is changeless. It has a kind of unshakeability. And it's present, here and now, and it, and it never, doesn't come and go. We, our ability to notice, to realize it, varies, very flighty, but, but don't, don't be disparaged by that, it's learning to trust it. Not in becoming enlightened, or becoming someone that's realized the unconditioned, then you're back in the same old trap again. That's not, not like you ever become somebody who realizes the unconditioned. That whole way of thinking seems, uh, doesn't make sense anymore. It's, it's, it's not personal, not a person that realizes. Realization is not personal. And so reality is Dhamma. We take refuge in Dhamma. Then you say, I've realized the unconditioned. <laughs> that, that doesn't make sense. That sounds like an ego trip or inflating, you know. Because in terms of direct experience, the personal view is no longer the one that you 
you you use. You know, you're not interpreting life on that level, on through personal terms. So when we chant in the morning, when we say Sape Sankarani Cha, all conditions are impermanent. Notice that, that when we're talking about Sankara, we use the word uh, Anicca. And then we, when we say Sape Tama Anatta, we use, when we use the word Dhamma, we use Anatta, not self. So in in uh, this the uh, these those two reflections I always have been used for years. I remember being quite uh, impressed by the music going Thailand when I first heard them. Sape Sankarani Cha Sape Tamanata. Then then over the years, just reflecting on that and trying to understand what are these. Why don't they use Sape Tama Anacha? Why don't they use Anatta? Why don't they say Sape Sankara Anatta? And uh, questioning myself like that. It's just questioning, trying to find why, what is the significance of the, of the, of the way they, we chant it. And so this is, this is what I've, my insight in terms of, of uh, Dhamma and Anatta, not self. All condition, uh, all unconditioned is not self. So that this, this puts the, that now the self, in, when we're talking in the Theravada terms, is the, the self that we create. But even this is not, not meant to be a, a fixed position that there's no self as some kind of absolute Buddhist position that we take. Because uh, even attaching to the view of no self, there's still attachment to a view. You see what I mean? We're, 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 we're getting beyond, we're, we're getting through the attachment even to uh, Buddhist teaching. So in you get in the Orthodox Theravadins and they and they and they get really they think Hinduism is all about self, permanent self, and Buddhism is all about permanent no self. And and so you get into you know taking sides, and, and if you if you if you incline towards Buddhism, then you then you think Hinduism is all about. They talk about Atman and things like that. We don't believe in Atman and self and higher self or the one self or that or the big self. Uh, there's no self. 
But that can be uh, just that that attachment to a view again is, is the problem, not not the terminologies. The terms are conventions only, so it's not not a matter of. Uh, of taking sides on the conventional level, but of using the conventions for a way through awareness and wisdom. I remember having a lot of insights into attachments to to v- Buddhist views. And, uh, I remember, you know, used to having really uh, uh, strong aversion to certain Christian terminologies because of uh, views I held. And, uh, and then the, the views I held about Buddhism and then in, in uh, examining the, the, the attachments I have, the, you know, the, is, is there, su- I've noticed I would suffer, this kind of suffering would occur when, when challenged or something, something was threatening my particular viewpoint. I'd feel very upset and feel very threatened. So, then I I, I, I notice, why do I feel so threatened? Why do I feel so anxious when that person says that? And and it's like it's threatening a particular view I have. I can see, I could see the suffering of being attached to a view because if that view is threatened, then, then I'm being threatened. You know, what I'm attached to is me and then I'm being threatened. So, so then the suffering is, is, is not because of the view, but because of the attachment to the view. And that, uh, that, that you can contemplate also, just that, that difference between conventional experience and the and that and and what attachment to it that is the cause of the suffering that we get from this conventional world. So like being a Buddhist monk, you, if you suffer, it's because of attachment. So I suffer because of the vinya, or I suffer because I can't have sex, or I suffer because. Um, you, you know, you're you're kind of an oddball in the West. You know, you you're Hare Krishna, you're old slaphead, and things like this. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I suffer because of of these uh, these people making fun of me, or or is there a t- is you know that's that's one way of looking at it, but. Another way of looking at it is what am I attached to that I suffer when people call me slaphead? <laughs> and then you start looking and you start, you know, you start really 
investigating experience, noticing the way it is, rather than than thinking if 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 people didn't call you slaphead, then you wouldn't suffer. <laughs> but I don't know, I don't get called that very often. Something that has particularly been a great source of suffering to me, but I could make it into, you know, it could make being a Buddhist monk in England into a, a real trial through all kinds of views, opinions, and attachments. Or by realizing that, then what? what is non-suffering? Do you know when there is no suffering? So that's, and also to know non-suffering is like this. And so it's a, so something that, that you know directly. So suffering is this way and non-suffering is like this. So this is the way of knowing. Buddha is the knower, the knowing. And uh, this, uh, this is the uh, opportunity, this, this winter's retreat, to, uh, to really explore this whole thing. You know, through, like, through a determined uh, effort, right effort, then it, it, these things are, are natural to us. We're, we're waking, awakening to the true nature of things. So it's not like, it's not refined, it's not something abstract or, or remote. But it's, it's very direct and very real. And so it's, it's not something that, that is or what is something you have to get so, some, uh, through hard work. It's learning to trust in awakened awareness. So remember that in this, this formal retreat, two-week formal retreat, and then the three months winter's retreat, we have opportunity to Ex to examine, and don't believe me what I'm saying now even. I mean, I'm not trying to convince you of anything, but in terms of encouraging you toward this, to trust in your own ability to pay attention to life as it's happening. And, how, and, and encouraging a skillful means of how to look at it rather than just be lost in the mire of habit and the, and the uh, power of the emotional habits that take that can easily overwhelm us if we don't have any way of looking at it in any uh, through uh, as dhamma when we only interpret experience through the perceptions of personality and self So I offer this as a reflection.